0: We had a great crafty on girls. Honestly, I was so young on Mad Men and I was so nervous to be on that set that I probably didn't eat anything. <laughs> I don't remember. It was like it was like I'd show up for work and I'd black out and then I'd wake up back at home.
1: You're listening to the Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Today on the show, I welcome in Zasha Mamet. Zasha is an actor and writer known for her memorable roles on Mad Men, The Flight Attendant, and Girls. How could we forget Shoshana and Girls? As well as editing the great new collection of short stories, My First Popsicle, an anthology of food and feelings. In this episode, we talk about which show has the best craft service, a.k.a. Crafty, in the business. And what it was like pulling together all these stories from such a cool list of collaborators, including Ted Danson, Tony Hale, and Ruth Reichl. I couldn't put this book down and really credit to Zasha for pulling together such an original cast of characters. I hope you dig this conversation. (music) Zasha Mamet, welcome to the Taste Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: This is really cool to talk to you. I'm a huge fan of your acting. I, I loved your role in Mad Men. Honestly, terrific. Just such a great role. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> um, but really, we're here to talk about your uh, the, the collection of essays, My First Popsicle. And collections are so difficult and and, you know, kind of getting everyone to kind of match the vibe and getting everyone to do the right word count. You, this is terrific. Such a good book.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so happy you like it.
1: Um, I want to find out first, you know, the book covers, um, it's like struggles in realness. It's not just beautiful tomatoes in French markets. I mean, it really has, um, a theme of discovery, a theme of heartbreak. Um, so what was the process like reaching out to all, all of the, all the authors and collaborators?
0: Um, I mean, it's, it's sort of, I feel a little bit like, I don't know, unfair saying this, but it was it was kind of seamless. Um, I, I put together this list of, I think there was a list of like 75 people. Cause I knew that there would be some people that would say no, but then I went out to my top 50. Um, and that's basically the people that were in the book. And it was a whole smattering of people I knew really well, people I'd maybe known when I was a child or had crossed paths with working like a friend of a friend, someone I didn't know at all. Um, and short of like someone having going to have or having just had a baby, um, or like writing their own book or shooting in some crazy foreign land, pretty much everybody said yes,
1: yeah. Well it's a compelling topic. what was that prompt email like what were you asking because I feel like that was really important to get everyone on the same page What did you ask them
0: so it's funny that you mentioned word count because I hmm. I wouldn't give anyone a word count um oh. which some people like didn't even realize and um the like authors by trade who wrote for the book like essentially begged me for one <laughs> it was pretty pretty amusing um, <laughs> but. You know, I really wanted this book to be as varied as possible in every way, shape, or form. You know, I wanted the contributors. I wanted them within the confines of the subject matter, the subject matters, the vibes of the essays. So I tried to make the prompt as loose as I could. And I kind of was like, okay, Mm -hmm. food and feelings, like,
1: Ah. go. That's that's not even loose. See, that's smart because when you say food and feelings, that's not like you're not saying like childhood memory. You're saying feelings, which I love. Um, I feel. Thanks.
0: Yeah. No. I but I wanted. I didn't want to lead anyone in any particular way, like down a certain avenue, because I feel like those two topics can be so tiny. And they can be so macro at the same time. You know, it's like they can kind of mean anything to anybody. But then the, the things that they mean to each individual person are so specific.
1: Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Absolutely. So like Ted, Ted Danson, for example, everyone knows Ted Danson. And he wrote this essay that I feel is it really touched me. It was about to summarize about um, a scene when he was in high school and how he went to a boarding school out east he was from the plains um i'm summarizing and he encountered a racist student body um specifically racist against native americans and he had a friend who was also who was a native american chief ended up being a hopi chief and just like the empathy that he showed in that essay i just feel like and and it really amazing bit of writing
0: that essay really floored me and it was interesting because um Ted is a, is a family friend. He's been a friend of my dad's for many years. And I have known him a bit throughout my life. Um, And I just think he's an incredible artist and storyteller. And I cold emailed him asking to write for this book. And his response was, um, I don't really think that I'm a writer. And I just (laughs) had this like, you know, I really didn't push people, but it, Mm -hmm there were a few instances where I was like, but please. And he was one of them. And I I wrote him back and I was like, I just don't believe that. And I don't think that's true. <laughs> um, and so he made me promise. He was like, if it's bad, you have to promise not to put it in the book. And I was like, I promise, oh my but gosh. that's not going to be the case. And uh, he wrote, The first draft that he sent me, he was like, I haven't totally, I feel like there's like a few paragraphs missing to sort of like put this all together, but it was basically that like essentially what is in the book is what he first sent me in an email. And I, Mm -hmm. I wrote him back like weeping and I was like, Ted, Mm -hmm. never again, can you say that you are not a writer? (laughs) This is exquisite. Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah it was great and and I feel so you did some line editing. you would you would kick back some feedback and and really serve as the book's editor. what Would you go back and forth multiple times with some of the some of the contributors?
0: Um, with a couple people, but again, it was um, you know, I had my wonderful editor um at Penguin Meg Letter, who's incredible. um, and she sort of was like editing my editing. Um, but it was interesting. I would say the hardest thing about this book was deadlines and, um, Hmm. you know, learning that most writers think that deadlines are suggestions. Um, (laughs) so it was like that. And if there were documents that needed to be signed, like just, you know, the 17,000 emails being like, Please for the love of everything, just sign it and send it back to me. Uh, Oh my gosh. But other than that, like the actual creative process was, it was just so fun and everybody was a joy to work with. And um, there weren't a ton of edits. Like there were, Mm -hmm. I would say the main editing that happened was like, asking for more, you know, people write yeah. these pieces that I just wanted more like T- Tony Hales, which is very short it. already. It's so great. But he wrote like two sentences. And I was like, look, I know I said no word count, but like, it's just so great. Will you write a little bit more?
1: Yeah, so Tony Hale writes about chain restaurants versus fancy restaurants, and he writes this really great line, Tony Hale, a veep and mini Greek comedic actor. The chain's brownie sundae demolishes the hipster mini tart with a dollop of foam. Man, hard agree. Why don't we talk about chain restaurants, desserts, how you want quantity over quality sometimes? Like, it's a very astute observation.
0: It's so true. Like, I was remembering— um I'm forgetting the name of the restaurant. I feel like it was called like BJ's or something. Growing up in LA, there was this restaurant that had this thing called the Pazuki. Mm. And it was a pizza cookie. So they made a, a chocolate chip cookie in like a full pizza dish. And they would just put ice cream <laughs> and um whipped cream on top of it.
1: I mean, you know, sign me up. As, like,
0: a tiny child, we'd go and we'd get a pizookie. And, like, I didn't want something fancy. I just wanted a pizza-sized no. cookie.
1: Absolutely. I think just chain restaurants, they do it enough that they just know how a brownie sundae should They're taste. they just,
0: like, versus, science. Yeah. It's a science.
1: It is. Now, David Sedaris poses the question in his essay, where are all the gelo o artisans? Now, I... Have to disagree. There are some jello artisans, but the point is taken. Jello does not get enough respect.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he he really points that out. Although I did look up the jello artists, the the jello cake artists that you, yeah, those are stunning. I mean, they're yeah. gorgeous.
1: Yeah, Nunchi, uh, she's based in L.A., actually. You know, ring her up for a a cake. I mean, Nunchi is amazing. Eat Nunchi, at Eat Nunchi, uh, Nunchi. She's amazing. So, yeah, I had to to shout her out. I mean, I think it's like –
0: I think that Jell-O gets a bad rap. And it's funny because, like, I'm definitely more of, like, a chocolate person. My husband is the gummy candy person. So I feel like it's sort of like what camp are you in. (laughs) Yeah. But (laughs) I feel like Jell-O just, like – Yeah, Jell-O gets a bad rap. So, I don't know. Bring Jell-O back?
1: And especially with Sedaris in his way, kind of just the story talks about hot dogs, Jell-O, and then it devolves into something totally different, which is pure Sedaris. Um, You know, Ruth Royschel writes something that I feel it's like, is this a ghost story that involves honey cake, a broken model T, and never eating honey again? I'm trying to figure it out. It's incredible.
0: I mean, that story certainly left me unsettled in that like fantastic way that something that's like a little bit off does um when Ruth Reichel said yes to writing a piece for this book I was just mm-hmm. like I was like we don't even need to publish it like I'm good I was like I had Ruth <laughs> and David and Patty Smith and I was like I'm can yeah. die now um <laughs> but *Comfort Me with Apples* is one of my favorite books of all time, and i I was just so excited to see what she was going to write about, and that essay, it, it like it messed me up.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it messed me up too. And I, I, I got a Ruth really spent on the show, and I, I consider her a colleague, and she's really. Uh, I have questions, Ruth. I definitely have questions. (laughs) (laughs) You should read it. Uh, Stephanie Dandler, now, I I like Stephanie Dandler's writing a lot, and I've I've met her once. Um, I feel like when she writes about not cooking, she's hitting upon something that's really universal, and it's a really cool memoir-style personal essay that she writes.
0: It's Yeah, Steph's essay is – I mean, I just, I love her writing so, so much. Yeah. I think it's so, so beautiful. I think she has a truly singular voice. Um, and she's actually one of the people that inspired me to feel like I I could write. Um, and again, I was so excited to see what she was going to write about. And I feel like she really encapsulated, she captured the the, like, ethos of really what I was going for with this book, which is, like, it's not necessarily about the food. It's all of, like, the ornaments that we hang on top of it because of the circumstances surrounding that particular dish. Um, Mm -hmm. And, like, how she captures that idea of loneliness and, like, what true depression means when you're going through a period of time where it's, like, something something in you goes dormant, you know, like it may not be dead, but it definitely is. It's hibernating until it feels safe to wake up again.
1: Yeah. Really well said. I, I highly recommend checking out that essay and it's it makes me think about like kitchens that aren't cooked from because <laughs> the way she paints the photo the picture of this, this dormant kitchen in this group home, essentially a shared home she lives in. It's great. Nice. Yeah. Um, so you close the book, and this is a, a, a Jew myself who loves Christmas. You, you write up as a Jew loving Christmas how you love Christmas, but you love plum pudding. So I have to ask, what are your plum pudding plans this Christmas time?
0: So, you know, I haven't had plum pudding since my grandmother passed away now oh, yeah. a decade ago. Um, I, my older sister has attempted to make it. I have not tried her attempts. Mm. I have not attempted to make it, I think because for so many reasons, it's like, you know, I, I ate it every year of my life for so many years. Um, so it's not necessarily that I'm like worried it won't taste as good. Um, but it's just sort of this like mythic thing. And I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I kind of have to let it. Also, it takes about two months to make. So it's a real
1: right. You're a little behind schedule there. That's a good point.
0: (laughs) And then also if you biff it, it's not like, oh, okay, we'll just whip another one up. You're like, I've been working on this for two months.
1: (laughs) I know. It's honestly, I, I like that, that dish, but I, I won't attempt a fruitcake, a panettone. I feel like Christmas pastries are to be left for the the, the non-Jews, just gonna say it.
0: Very complicated, <laughs> you know. Like
1: They're too complicated, a
0: pie, yeah. a pumpkin bread. I yeah. can, I can do those. Like you know, yeah,
1: yeah. You can mess around. So, so you know, Zasha, tell me about growing up in LA. Um, what was what was food like in your house? I mean, you you probably with your dad uh, and his friends and your your family friends. You had some cool people rolling through. Um, interesting people, interesting people in the food world. What was that like?
0: Um, my mom didn't really cook growing up. Um, yeah. So it's funny. I actually didn't learn to cook until I met my husband, who's an amazing cook. Um, but I, I always loved baking growing up, so that was sort of like – that was kind of my jam. Um, yeah. My dad always says um, – he could ruin toast, which is like pretty accurate. Um,
1: <laughs> Not his; he's he, other other specialties. Other like yourself. Other, other specialties other in cooking.
0: Um, yeah, my my mom is an amazing cook. I don't, you know, I'm like, where was this when we were when we when we were little? But um, yeah, she's an amazing cook and an amazing baker. Um, but um, and my stepmom is like lights out, like epic, epic cook there's like a specific chicken dish with prunes and stuff that she makes. That's just like, mm. it's out of control. Um, but yeah, didn't have like, I definitely was exposed to a lot of different foods growing up, which I feel very fortunate. You know, our rule growing up was like, you have to try it once before you say you don't like it.
1: Yeah. Fair rule. Good rule. Good, good, good for good parents. rule.
0: So I had like a pretty yeah. eclectic, taste. And like, there was a lot available to us growing up in Los Angeles. So like, you know, I wasn't just like a berries and banana kid. Like I love to star yeah. fruit. I love to kumquat. you know? Yeah. Um, and I've never been, it's funny. I look at like my, um, my diet now. And I'm like, I feel like I eat more like a toddler now than I did when I was a child. <laughs>
1: I get those days as well. Sometimes you're just like, "What have I done today?" I feel like a ch- yeah, a child. Yeah,
0: but that's like, it's just like most days. <laughs> okay, most you're days. in the most days. Most days in All right, my well, world. I got it. It's like a and J, pretty much always a Honey Nut Cheerio. All
1: right. Speaking of this, I, I have a uh, not a bone to pick, but I have a, a question. Let's talk about this. Are you you're a fan of of baked lays? It seems like
0: oh, I love a baked lay.
1: Oh my goodness. I I, I find baked lays it's like I, I find it to be extremely difficult to feed, like to understand what's going on there. Can you, I don't want you to defend you. It's you don't have to, but why do you like baked lays?
0: So my mom was a health nut growing up. So we yep. there wasn't junk food in the house. Like we didn't have like potato chips were not a thing. Yeah. I don't even know if we had chips in general growing up. Um, But like, hearkening back to the toddler of it all, love a chip, love a chip in this house. Huge chip fan. But I think it's also like, so I think when you grow up without junk food, you sort of go one of two routes. So my older sister, like my mom used to get calls from her friend's mothers being like, we found your daughter passed out in our pantry, covered in like every cereal (laughs) box that we own in a sugar coma. So my older sister is just like, showers and junk food. Um, And I feel like I kind of like slowly dipped my toe in. I was a little more cautious with it. Um, And I don't know if it's because I don't know what I'm missing, but like, I just, I don't know. I had a baked lay once and I was like, these are delicious and I love them, but you're not alone. I was actually, I was in the airport the other day and I was buying snacks for the plane. And Mm -hmm. this lady walked up and she was like, Where are the potato chips?
1: Oh my and gosh. I was like,
0: Oh, they're wow. actually like on the other side of that kiosk, there's popcorn and baked lace. And she was like, I said potato chips. And I was wow. like, Okay. Okay.
1: I think she she, she kind of said what I was thinking, just gonna like, be. Honest. Respect, but, lady. You know,
0: you know what?
1: Yeah, respect you. But I I understand. I grew up in a household where we had a lot of snack wells.
0: So oh, you know, many sure snack wells. Oh my god, <laughs> snack wells yeah. give me PTSD.
1: I know it, the green box. I I agree. I get. I'm very traumatized by the green box, um, the the devil's food, whatever that is. Ooh, tough, Ooh. tough hang.
0: Tough <laughs> hang, man. Also, I'm afraid I haven't had a snack bowl in so long, but I'm like, if I looked at the box today, I think I'd be like, holy McGee, what, what do they put in this shit?
1: Oh my gosh. Okay, I have a question. This is off uh, off the off the list I sent you, but. Did you watch Irva Vep? Did you watch that HBO Max show? What's it
0: called?
1: Oh, you, oh, Irva no. Vep? I
0: haven't watched it yet.
1: It's, okay, so this leads to my next question. So, craft service. Now, I your role on, on Mad Men, super memorable. Wish there was more of you. Girls, obviously, big, big, big moment for you as an actor. Let's talk about craft service. So, Irva Vep, it's, a, it's based on a French production movie within a movie. They have, like, the most killer craft service. Like, it's like cappuccinos all day. So what's what's craft service like on a Mad Men or on a Girls? Like, are you getting what you want? Or are you getting like snack wells type of so, stuff? So
0: we had a great crafty on Girls. Honestly, I don't. I was so young on Mad Men, and I was so nervous to be on that set that yeah. I probably didn't eat anything. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> it was like it was like I'd show up for work and I'd black out, and then I'd wake up back at home. Um, oh my gosh! We had a great so crafty on Girls. Great crafty on Girls um also like you do a show for six years you have like yeah. the same caterer the same crafty eventually they start to learn like the things that you like and they have your favorite yeah. stuff and they have a secret stash for you um but one year we I think it was like season four or something we were sharing the stage with um the Michael J Fox show was shooting right next door to us mm-hmm. it was our first oh, wow. week on set and Um, I went back to where they'd set up our crafty behind the stages and I was like, Oh my God, we have upped our game this year. And there was a full (laughs) wall of, um, you know, those like cereal dispensers that are, they're they're, they're, like vertical and then they have, Oh yeah. You pull the
1: handle. Yes. And there was
0: literally, I think there were like 25 cereals. It was. And I just, I started going down the line and getting a little (laughs) bit of each cereal. And I was like, this is amazing. This is the best year ever. And this PA came up to me and was like, excuse me, do you work on the Michael J. Fox show? And I was like, oh no, I'm on (gasps) Girls. And he was like, that's not your crafty. And so we had to spend an entire season shooting next to their crafty, which was (laughs) <laughs> Hands down the best crafty I've ever seen. I'll, just like yeah, They would bring out these platters of, like, I don't even know what, but they were always beautiful, and you just wanted to eat them. And it was so much better than our crafty, and they wouldn't share.
1: And oh, my gosh. It was the worst
0: thing that's ever I'm, happened to me.
1: Yeah, I feel like Michael J. Fox show, being known for the craft services is, is probably more than the show was known for. So I, I feel like this is a great anecdote. It, it, you
0: know, <laughs> love- it, it was – It was a tough season, but we got through it. Yeah. We got through it.
1: (laughs) Now, um, back on a menu, you didn't eat anything.
0: I don't don't remember. This is like,
1: I'm marinating on this right now. This is like, this is, before you shoot, do you have food rituals at all? Like, I feel you got to be in the game, right? So is there a food ritual?
0: I mean, it totally depends. It depends on what you're shooting. It depends on the hour of day. Like, you know, you kind of learn the hard way the things that create your rituals, which are like, if you have to shoot a scene where you're running, like maybe don't eat a burrito <laughs> at lunch. <laughs> um, if you, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Um,
1: yeah, there's wardrobes ish situations. I'm sure you don't want to eat. Um,
0: I did um, on Dickinson. I. I remember my first day on set, I was asking Anna Baryshnikoff, who's a friend. I was like, so talk to me about this corset situation. Like, very <laughs> uncomfortable. Do you get used to it? She was like, no, not really. I was like, okay, cool. Um,
2: yeah.
0: What's the deal like with eating in it? She was like, oh yeah, like, <laughs> it's terrible. She's like, I swear you take one bite of something and there's just like nowhere for it to go. And I was like, that can't be, you're you're exaggerating. (laughs) And, um, our first turnaround, everybody was like, want to go get a snack? I was like, yeah, totally. I'm starving. And I literally put like two nuts into my mouth and I was like, oh my God. Oh, I can't breathe. (laughs) She's like, I told you. It's really bad. (laughs)
1: Yeah. It must've, I mean, it must've made the performance a little bit realer. If you can't, can't breathe and only can eat nuts. I
0: mean, I think, um, we don't. I don't miss. I'm happy I didn't grow up in time wearing yeah. corsets.
1: There. Yeah, it makes you it makes you really appreciate your your current ro- wardrobe. Okay. Now, have you watched The Bear at all? Are you are you on the Bear Hive?
0: I mean, that show. That yeah. show is right incredible.
1: So good. I mean, you have a Chicago. I mean, did you go to Chicago growing up at all?
0: I didn't really spend a lot of time there. Um, you know, my dad lived in. Um, he moved to New York before I was born, and then Massachusetts, and then yeah. L.A. Um, yeah. So, and he doesn't really go back. So, I sadly haven't spent my husband. Spent oh man, more time there than I have. He worked with um, Joe Swanberg on a, his TV show Easy, so he's gotten yeah. to spend a lot of time in Chicago enjoying the food and um, without me.
1: <laughs> yeah, too, I'm sorry. Yeah, Chicago is a great food town. Now, do you, speaking of that, do you think Shoshana would have dated a line cook? Like I feel like that's it would have it was something would have happened. Like the line cook is is definitely part of the zeitgeist now if if girls was being filmed now,
0: I mean, would she date a line cook now? Probably yeah, now. yeah, probably like, you know, line cooks are like, I mean, I think the bear is a good indication that, like that <laughs> uh that life is bananas. And, yeah, and she I think was like, Kind of a bit of a pinball when she was younger, and would have just gone with whatever mm-hmm. seemed like shiny and like paid attention yeah. to her. But I think, I think down deep, she was on the hunt for stability, which I don't, Truths. I don't think is necessarily what the life of a line cook offers.
1: You filmed a lot in Japan in the last season, right?
0: Yeah, we were there. We shot two episodes there. Um, we were there for a little over two weeks.
1: Great, up, great, great episodes, memorable in the show. Did you remember any food from there? Like, I mean, being shooting in Japan must have been really fun. It
0: was fun is is not it's not. <laughs> ah. it was, no, I mean, it was fun. It was just uh,
1: <laughs> nothing's fun. I, I get it. I get no, it. it. it was
0: incredible. It was incredible and amazing. Yeah. But it was it was perhaps the hardest I've worked in my entire career because we shot. You know, we had to shoot all of my stuff from two episodes in two weeks, and it was um, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, basically, we got there, we had I think like half a day, and then started shooting at six a.m. the first day, and like, and yeah. I had one day off the entire time we were there. Yeah,
1: um, and jet lag is crazy. And it was
0: the yeah, I think it was like a hundred and five most days, over a hundred with like a hundred percent humidity. <laughs> um, and it was just crazy. You know, we were moving from, we were constantly moving locations, you know, we shoot like three locations in a day. It was truly incredible. And Jesse Pretz who directed both episodes is like one of my favorite humans and directors mm-hmm. of all time. And it was from a work standpoint, it was, it was one of the highlights of my yeah. creative career, but it was really insane hard. amount of work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Zasha, I love My First Popsicle. I think it is a terrific collection. I I am going to highly recommend it and and link to it in the notes. We ask all guests on the Taste Podcast, if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, speaking of deadline, or budget, meaning you have all the money in the world, what would that book be?
0: Oh, my God. I mean, it's such a lame answer to say that, like, I just want to keep writing these books. <laughs> so,
1: hey, I mean, volume two, bring it, bring just, it no, um, for real.
0: I don't know. I feel like it, it was, um, it's funny. I was thinking, I was noodling on ha ha food pun. I was noodling on that
1: Hi, It's and good. question
0: <laughs> and thinking about like what I would do. I was like, you know, I'm obsessed with the peanut butter and jelly. And I was like, I'd travel the world asking people <laughs> how they made their peanut butter and jellies. But it's funny because all the things I was thinking of were just kind of like, sub sections of this bigger question to me, you know, it was like food of your childhood or your favorite. I don't even know. And um, it just felt like editing this book felt like an embarrassment of riches. I was like, I get to ask people that I love and admire to write about this topic that I find endlessly fascinating. Yeah. And I just get to read their writing and like put it together in a package and. If I could just keep doing that, I'm like, I mean, that's been incredible.
1: Sasha Mamet, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Bianca Cruz, welcome back to the Taste Podcast.
2: It's good to be back.
1: So this is the third installment, I hope, of many of your culinary school journey. The first two episodes, we talked about topics of like some exams we talked about what is like just getting your first day and getting all your gear um i think we last left off you were about to take your final exam
2: yeah how'd it go it went great it was a lot of work um it consisted of three different parts it was a little lengthy and the first part being a cumulative exam so everything that we learned uh in the months the nine months that we were in school were tested we were tested on and it was A little overwhelming, but they didn't give us any like niche questions like, oh, how to make this like obscure sauce or something like that. It was more so like, what temperature is chicken ready at? Mm. Stuff like that. Stuff that you should know. Like
1: kind of food safety, make sure you can actually safely be a chef.
2: Yes, exactly. Things that you really should know before you go out in the field. (laughs) Right. Uh, And if you feel that, it's like, why are you here? But anyway, uh, and then it it consisted of two more days. uh, One day being a fish day and the second being a chicken day. Mm. And both days you had to create obviously a dish with that protein, and two vegetable sides, a sauce, and a, um, a starch, excuse me. And the first day, I was more so Italian-inspired mm. with my fish, so you had to fillet an entire flounder, mm. show it to the chef. Chef says, okay, you're good to go. You take two of those fillets, you make something with it. I was inspired. Actually, I took an entire recipe from Italian-American, Yeah. Um, the cookbook, cookbook, Yeah. and it was like this delicious, like... Uh, it had sesame seeds and it was like so crispy and flaky.
1: So oh it was a flounder you filleted, <laughs> yes. and you were you're basically for the exam given the opportunity to just show some skills.
2: Yeah, and we were only allotted a specific amount of ingredients, mm. um, and they basically just brought in a bunch of ingredients from the kit from the refrigerator, and the supply room, and said, "Here, go buck wild." You can't take anything else from um, yeah. the supply room, though. So we were pretty limited. Otherwise, I would have made something Puerto Rican-inspired, expo- mm-hmm. but there wasn't anything Puerto Rican in those baskets. Yep, so yep, yep. I went more so Italian. Um, I made, for the starch, some cacio e pepe polenta, um, which was inspired by Carla Lale Musics, uh, and that sounds so good. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I used the polenta recipe in that book. And then I made some lemony broccoli rub, some Yum. garlicky mushrooms, and I made a pomodoro sauce. So it came out fantastic. I was really happy. Were
1: you, like, dish. doing more than your, co- your your fellow students?
2: So this is actually really interesting. I don't think I was. Yeah. I think I, I was just trying to make something that tasted really good and that looked really good. Yeah. But I think my colleagues were a little bit m- more focused on some, like, gastronomy aspects to mm-hmm. cooking. I have no interest in fine dining. It's just not – my yeah. thing. Uh, I know Anthony Bourdain said he's like, I also <laughs> am not interested in fine dining, and yeah. I just so related to that. Yeah. So I kind of stayed away from that. I just wanted, like I said, I wanted to make something that tastes good. Um, I grew up in a household that didn't, that ate like red lobster. Yeah. You know what I mean? I grew up TGI Fridays, yeah. stuff like that.
1: Shout out TGI Fridays, yes. for real. I love too. it.
2: And even the Sizzler. Oh, I mean, yeah. People, I feel like I haven't been to a Sizzler in probably 20 I haven't years. I have never
1: been, but riblets at TGI Fridays, I remember going there, you know, once in a while as a kid. That was great.
2: It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the food I'm familiar with. So that's what I kind of want to embody when I cook to this day. I just obviously want to use really great ingredients and yeah. make it taste as best as possible. But fine dining just isn't my thing. So a lot of my colleagues were kind of focused more so on fine dining aspects, but... I just was like let's just make a delicious meal and I'll be happy with that.
1: And and so what's what's the result like what was your score?
2: I don't remember the exact. It was in the 90s, though.
1: Okay. Both both You passed. Days. I passed. With flying colors. With flying colors. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. So you passed culinary school. You Did you graduate? Did you have a ceremony?
2: We are going to have a ceremony. Okay. I think it's in the summer of next year. So they have one big ceremony for everyone that graduated. Yeah, that's cool. Um. So you see everybody in their, like, chef garb. It's going to be nice. fun.
1: That's really fun.
2: Um, and that's also when we get our awards and stuff. So I haven't—I don't even know if I got one, but— uh, we'll see. I would, I don't know who voted for me. It was kind of like one of those things where your class votes for like the best of this and the best mm. of that. So I have no idea. I'm going to say
1: you got an award.
2: I hope I got an award.
1: We'll have you back <laughs> and we'll talk about the award ceremony and you getting a bunch of awards. Now, I know. I just know you and I know how you work. Sounds like you got a really good thing in culinary school. So before we get to the externship, I want to hear just in general, are you are you happy you did culinary school? You The actual education part of
2: it. Oh, I'm... Unbelievably happy. Not only as a home cook now, but just the skills that I've garnered through culinary yeah. school and um, now at Potter, I've gotten the chance to dabble in some editing, and it's been so incredibly helpful. And I just I have these like flashbacks, like that's where even like, or, or actually she looks in the future, I look mm-hmm. in the past, or right? <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, oh my god, I remember. Doing that in, in culinary school yeah. and something is off here and it's it just been such a useful skill to have. Um And it's priceless to me. I know I paid tuition, but at the end of the day, what I took away from that education to me is completely priceless. So just for my day to day life, I'm just like, oh, my God, I know exactly Like if, if you just tell me to make something, I can just kind of like mm-hmm. figure out. My mom actually called me last night and she said, Bianca, I don't have any barbecue sauce. How do I make barbecue sauce? And I just walked her through it. Yeah. It was it was crazy. I was like, "Do you have tomato sauce?" I was like, "Do you have vinegar and you that's know, do you have brown sugar?" Sugar, yeah, brown sugar. And she was like, "Oh my god, I have all those things." And she actually texted me a picture of the ribs she made. She's like, "I'm never buying barbecue sauce again."
1: Yeah, homemade. Homemade like, listen, is better. Definitely. So, you're getting this life skill, you're getting this professional skill cuz you're edit cookbooks, like that's your job. Mm-hmm. But then you now are in an internship mode and you get to see a restaurant Like, no other person gets to see a restaurant, which is meaning you work at the restaurant. You see all the good and bad of it. Tell us about the externship. How did you get it? Where did you end up? What are you doing?
2: So I looked into a couple different restaurants. I was really into Gage Gage and Tolner, Don Angie, and I also looked into Missy Robbins restaurants. And I ended up getting my externship at Lilia. Um, they were really great because I, it also accommodated my 9-to-5. Yeah. And not only that, it, it also accommodated my shellfish allergy. So I didn't have to work around anything savory. So I actually ended up working in pastry. Mm-hmm. And in culinary school, pastry is such a small portion of what you learn. Uh, and working in pastry at Lilia was such, an, like a, such a phenomenal thing because I got to really know even more so about pastry and how that works. Um, and it was – I mean, I still am there currently. And it is – perfect, it's like a perfect restaurant to work at right out of culinary school because it's everything that you learned um, from how to label things and what tools you use and stuff like that. Nothing to me felt unfamiliar about The restaurant environment.
1: So take me through what it's like to work as an extern at Lilia. You work here in the office from 9 to 5, and then you have to leave and go right to your job. What are the hours like? How much are you working there?
2: So I work on the weekend. Yeah. Uh, I usually work from around 4 p.m. to around 1230 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a very long shift, and it's a lot of multitasking because not only am I making uh, desserts to order, I'm also trying to balance out prepping for the morning pastry shift. So that consists of making uh, fresh focaccia. Uh, I, ca- I have to make p- cake batter I have to make uh, our gelato bases because our gelato is fantastic oh my
1: god I just want that's I gotta get to the gelato and Lily, I like how, will. It, how it works because, yes okay,
2: I'll, I'll, I'll let you know the okay, little secret okay, okay. Um, and uh, I have to prep the pie dough I have to cut up some fruit for whatever our crostatas are you know that time of the year it was in the summer it was strawberries and blueberries right now we're in the apples phase I kind of want to beg the chef to go to cranberries I just mm-hmm. I don't know I'm obsessed with cranberries but I don't know if he'd ever want to <laughs> do that um chef Payson who also is like the kindest person I was so afraid that I was gonna get a chef that was mean yeah. and stuff like that but thankfully Payson is actually very patient he's very nice he's very soft-spoken um but he knows that's, his stuff
1: it's great to hear I mean Missy really leads by example and it's clear uh she's uh, an empathetic person a good person and her staff is that way so that's oh, yeah to hear.
2: it's a very familial staff for yeah. sure like I feel like I've Whenever I walk in there, I feel like I'm just kind of working with my friends, and yeah. that's such a phenomenal thing to feel because you never want to be in a workplace where you don't like the people you work with. And Lilia yeah. just fosters such a great familial. It's cool. You know, now,
1: would like you have a you have a gig here in book publishing? Could you envision yourself working full time pastry?
2: I I would so much rather cut off a toe then yeah <laughs> then what do you mean restaurant. it's it's just
1: not your vibe working at a restaurant I <laughs> it's mean, is so it... grueling yeah yeah it's Tell not easy it.
2: even if you work at like you know lily is like i said a great restaurant to work at and it's just so much hard work it's it, and the only i guess like the balance between it is that like when i'm at potter there's deadlines to me nothing is ever really done there's always something to do versus when you work at a restaurant you finish your shift Service is over. Hmm. You clean up. You go home. You don't yeah. have to think about it twice. Uh, so that's I guess like the balance between it. But like, there's no room for rest at a restaurant. Never, no. never, never. You also never know how many um, how many covers you're gonna get that day. So you could get you know 300 covers one day, but then there could be a hundred you know the yeah. next day. So I'm gonna guess know. not a
1: Lilia though. No, Lilia is pretty always packed. Out. Yeah, it's
2: always always filled to capacity. Yeah. I've never seen an empty table in there. So. It's actually it's funny. I actually served Dua Lipa oh. just a, just on Sunday. Damn! So I was like, "Oh my god, Dua Lipa's here!" I wow. was so and also an actor did you drop from some Gelato. I did. She got the Italian job, and I can oh. tell you what it is. Yes, yes. It yes. is uh, our vanilla gelato with this delicious uh, finishing olive oil. Yes. Um, some honey, some fennel pollen, and a little bit of flaky salt.
1: The Italian job. I have to say, so many things going right there. Of course, you've got the the pollen and the and the crunch. You've got this amazing olive oil. But to me, my question for you is: How the heck do you get the consistency and the temperature of the gelato so perfect when you drop it tableside at a very hot and very busy restaurant? I've had that gelato so many times, and it's perfect every time. Credit to you.
2: How do you do that? It's so hard, actually, and yeah. especially in the summer.
1: Yeah, no you doubt. You
2: have to race, yes, to get that gelato on the table. Because R- it's race. pretty close
1: to like ready when you drop it, right? Yes. Oh yes. When you get it at the past,
2: yeah. So pulling gelato is actually the hardest thing that I've had to learn. You have to get like that perfect swirl. Yeah, and um, it took me about like fifty tries to get it right. It was not easy, and it looks really easy. I was like, ah, I could do that. That's no problem. It was like the hardest thing yeah. ever. So eventually, I was able to to get that perfect, and I can just pull it and get that on like get that out to the to the customer in like thirty seconds. Yeah, but it, it's still. I mean, you have to really race against the clock, and there are times where I have to repull it because it's either like it's already melting yeah. or I wasn't able to get a server to come in fast enough to take it. It's 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 very. Fitting. Do you
1: run yourself then? You, you I don't run it myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
2: have to call for somebody to yeah. come and get it.
1: Bianca, let's go into this balance, balancing both. So you're working on the weekends. You're working during the week. Now, how do you feel mentally? Like that seems like it's a very challenging thing to do both jobs.
2: It is. I. I'm exhausted. Yeah. And I look forward to the days that I have completely off. Um, I look forward to the vacation I have at the end of the year that um, Penguin Random House gives us, which is so great. Um, But I I use a lot of my nighttime to just unwind and just do my thing, whether that be, you know, I also cook a lot more for myself now. Um, Now that I'm not in culinary school, I guess the fatigue is not 100 percent there. But I just like I, I, I cook a really good dinner for myself. I put on my law and order. Yeah. I eat a seasonal fruit, and I'm <laughs> just so happy. Like that, That's just what I look forward to at the end of the day is just that, some something simple in life. I don't try to overcomplicate things. I'll invite a friend over. We'll watch a show. We'll have drinks. We'll talk gossip, stuff like that. Yep, yep. So I just kind of look forward to the simple things in life, and it just makes everything so much easier. And just having the support of my family and my friends mm-hmm. has been – just astronomical. Like it, it's just I can't even put a value on the support that my family's giving I, me throughout this. It's
1: really, really cool to hear you say that. Yeah. Now, I was going to ask you about cooking at home. Now, now that you've gone through the paces of culinary school, I mean, what are you making? I mean, is there is there something you learned from school? You're like, man, I'm going to make that a lot now because it's good.
2: Yeah, I guess steak. Yeah, I made a good steak last night. It was nice. What cut? Got- uh, sirloin. Nice. It was actually. I was actually really impressed. I was like, I haven't made a steak in a while. Hopefully, I still have it. And I my mom had bought a couple of steaks that were on sale, and they're in my freezer right now. So I've been, like, kind of on a steak kick.
1: So sirloin, do you how do you season it ahead of time, before you're actually putting it on the grill? Or I the don't pan?
2: I don't really season it too far ahead of time. Yeah. I usually season it right before I put it on the grill. Right. But just some salt and some pepper. Yep, Nothing yep, yep. complicated. It, I think the sauce is really where... The steak Ooh. will thrive, so you can make so many like chimichurri. Last night mm-hmm. I made uh, just a regular gravy, yeah, and I was happy. I seasoned it with a little MSG.
1: Hey man, no need to <laughs> no need to whisper on this podcast. We go full we go full <laughs> throated MSG here. I we, love
2: MSG. It's the
1: best. I mean, we wrote about a Food IQ. It's it's written about it on Taste it is it's necessary.
2: It is necessary. It, it, it just I was like salt is not gonna it, it doesn't get the job done all the time. MSG no. gets the job done. Well,
1: you cut it with kosher. Like, yes. you cut. Like, I do. Like, that's the thing. You have to cut. There's a ratio there, and I think it's—I'm not going to—don't quote me. It's like 5 to 1 salt to MSG, maybe 10 to 1. Yeah. God, that's probably way off, but something like that. I
2: yeah. sprinkle it in, and I was like, okay, this tastes really good. Yeah. I need some salt. And um, that's what I did with my gravy last night. Yep. Uh, and I just made some mashed potatoes on the side, and I was nice. a happy gal and ate a pomegranate. I had a Negroni. Yeah. Happy, happy gal. Sounds
1: great. I love that combination. I mean, potatoes and and steak and a negroni. I mean, that's classic American steakhouse right there. Yeah,
2: and it's in my own kitchen, which is yeah. so tiny. I probably have like a <laughs> a five by two kitchen. It is a tiny kitchen. Oh, so, um, it's been a challenge, but I, I make it work.
1: So at Lilia, are you doing anything um, savory at all, or is it all pastry?
2: Uh, I, I make breads that are savory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the focaccia that we make is savory and it's a little seasonal. So right now we're on our leek focaccia. Cool. Um, in the summer we were on our tomato, which is my favorite because it was kind of like a pizza. It it tasted like pizza and I, I miss it a lot, but it's not tomato season. So it is leek season. I'm happy that we have the leeks. I think it's, it is delicious, but I do, I I always miss tomato season.
1: So let me ask you, how long are you going to be doing this externship? Is there, is there a period of time? Are you there for, for a while?
2: I, I mean, I hope I, I don't have to be there for a while. I actually did already finish the hours. So I'm kind of just there because I want to be there right. um, at this point. And I would, I would kind of like just to get a little bit more experience in the kitchen before I end up moving on. Because uh, a lot of people, they'll work there for the amount of time they have to do. And then they'll just leave and then I'll ever think about it again. Um, but it's always, I mean, I'm, I'm always learning something new. Like I just learned we have our olive oil cake and we have these like really thinly sliced persimmons. And I have to, like, twirl it into a flower. And it was something I've never done before. But I learned so quickly. And my flowers look so beautiful, even the chef said so himself. And that was a skill I didn't have before. Even, like, plating. I was so bad at plating, um... In culinary school, there's I feel like plating is kind of one of those things you have to have an eye for it.
1: Absolutely. There's an aesthetic choice. I mean, it you is. You decide if you want negative space, if you want maximal, if you yeah. want to do the stripe of
2: sauce. It's hard. Sauce.
1: Yeah. It's so hard. I, I play that game at home after making them. I'm like, I'm going to do a plating. And it's, it really is not good.
2: <laughs> it's so difficult. It's
1: the pros, man. The but professionals. But you
2: learn a little bit more. You get inspiration from when you work at a restaurant. You're like, oh, that's an interesting you know type of plating I've never seen before. And you just kind of channel that. So I was really happy with, um, with how much better my plating skills are you know versus when i was in culinary school for sure
1: so you're eventually gonna you know wean out of uh wean yourself out of Lilia. do you have a second externship or what do you kind of just like end now and like you get your degree what like what's next
2: my degree's already in the mail
1: yeah so So you're you're graduated you got a degree so you're done you're a graduate of culinary school so so the externship is more like enrichment and then Mm -hmm. um are you gonna do more stages and 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 uh, externships or are you just like nah?
2: I, I would love to maybe kind of do like a pop-up kind of a thing not not Whoa. specifically with only my food Here like, we go alright <laughs> let's talk about it I, I mean I guess it's in the distant future but I, I would love to do something along the lines of a, you know catering for something or cool. kind of just being a you know private chef for an event or something like that I would still love to put those skills to use in some type of way um, cool. you know being invited to a kitchen just to learn something it doesn't matter to me. I, I will never not be in the kitchen. Like, I always have to, to be doing something with that degree. You know, I don't want to just be, and that's not a bad thing to just be at home editing, you know, a cookbook. Um, But I just think, you know, there's always something to learn. And I think, you know, being a little bit more hands-on is, is a way to learn. I
1: mean, also just working with your authors mm-hmm. and just cooking through your authors, uh, you know, recipes. Yeah. That's I mean, cool.
2: I do that, like, Literally every day. I, I mean, look at a recipe. <laughs> are you working
1: on anything specifically right now that you can talk about?
2: Um, I actually did uh, help edit uh, two books uh, currently. Um, I helped Jen sit a bit with Molly Baz's next cookbook, and nice. I also uh, assisted with uh, Michael Simon's next cookbook. So those are two books that I. I really do love. I think they're yeah. phenomenal. And Those are great authors. I love both. Of, yeah, both the authors are awesome. So just being able to go and kind of be within, you know, the editing, the editing process of it, of it all is, there's, I mean, they're two drastically different authors, yeah. so they needed two drastically different approaches. Right. But, um, you know, there's some acquisitions that I'm really proud of, and one of them being uh, Justine Snacks. Nice. and. What a kind person. Like, I, I have nothing... What's that
1: all about? I'm sorry, I'm not familiar. Justine Snacks? Yes,
2: we just acquired her book maybe a month ago. Yeah. Um, and she has a huge following on both Instagram and TikTok. Cool. And we're so, so, so excited about her. Like, she, she's just, like I said, she's a really kind person. She's very inventive, and she's so fun and personable. And, um, she, like, I, I, I do occasionally, like, we have our little messages on Instagram and stuff, Fun. and she that's lis- what you want
1: with your author. She yeah.
2: listens to this podcast. So. Oh, cool! Hey,
1: what's up? Nice <laughs> to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you, Justine.
2: Uh, so, yeah, she's she's such a great author, and I was so so happy to have um, been part of her acquisition process. And I actually had emailed Justine about a year earlier. Nice. And I said, great. "Are you ever have you ever been interested in publishing a cookbook?" And she's like, oh, yeah, I, I am. And she and she eventually got agented. And mm-hmm. we saw the proposal, like I said, about a year later. And she remembered that. And yeah. I think to an extent it influenced her decision to come yeah. to Potter. Because she was like, you know, these, these editors saw me, uh, you know, they believed in me much earlier than, you know, some of these other imprints who have never heard of me up until now. Yeah. And we were just so happy when she picked us because she had a variety of other imprints <laughs> to pick from.
1: I mean, she's lucky to have you as a editor. So, I mean, honestly, it's mutual, and I'm really happy to hear about your story, and we will absolutely have you back. I think there's a lot more to talk about as you edit and you cook and reflect in culinary school. Bianca Cruz, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast.
2: Thank you so much. I can't wait till come back. Like, it's going to be great. Yes.
1: The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumber. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.